Thank you for tuning in to Highly Functional under the umbrella of Hardwater One. This is Dr. Brianne Shelman-Brown, the Functional Athletic Specialist. Thank you for joining us again on another episode of Highly Functional. I am joined today with Dr. Keone Tita, a naturopathic physician at the Naturopathic Health Clinic of North Carolina. Dr. Tita, thank you for joining us. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I mean, I'm, I'm honored that, that you've asked me to be on and um, talking about one of my favorite subjects, inflammation and foods and, and spices and how we can mitigate that using, using some of the things that are in our own home. So yeah, I'm, I'm excited. Thank you. You are quite welcome. Uh, as we were talking before we started recording, you know, you put out some amazing content on everything wellness, fitness, um, just living that healthy life. So I was very excited to get you on here and talk about something that I absolutely love as well and addressing, you know, why people get injured from a different aspect of, you know, being the things that take into their bodies versus just poor training. Right. And, and I would, you know, I, I've said on a number of, um, of my podcasts and interviews and some of my talks is that one of the main causes of, you know, disease, especially chronic disease today is, is inflammation and, and inflammation is ultimately caused for most of us. Chronic inflammation is mostly caused for most, most of us by just uh, chronic overconsumption, you know, uh, chronic overdoing things, chronic um, exercise, but main thing is just overeating, overconsuming and what it does inside the body. And it's insidious. So a lot of people don't realize that, um, that, that this is going on. Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So getting into that, thinking about these chronic diseases that people get, uh, these chronic pain issues that people get, what are some of the common factors you see as far as foods they're taking in or are there common factors that they're taking in that cause a lot of these problems? Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I mean, it's stuff that we've, we've heard um, over and over again. And it's, you know, one thing is, is, uh, is just, it, there's certain foods that can, that can create excess inflammation via a number of mechanisms. But I will also say, like, even if you're eating the healthiest diet, and you're over consuming that diet, you're going to create too much stress on the body and create inflammation. But, but more specifically, you know, it's what we've always heard. It's like refined foods, right? Pro highly processed foods. Is that, if that's what most of your diet is, especially if you're over consuming them. And especially if you don't give a break between feeding times, you get uh, inflammation. Now, one of the biggest things that happens in our society is that, uh, you know, more and more people are really struggling with um, obesity and, um, and, you know, the weight gain uh, trend just seems to keep on rising and rising and rising. And, and certain macronutrients seem to have more of an influence on that gain and, and certain foods on that. So the foods that, that really do this, um, and I always try to bring it down to, to the effects of insulin on the body. And I always tell people, you know, if I had to say there was one big cause of chronic inflammation, and I, I wanted to go towards, you know, look at it from an obesity epidemic, which most of us are struggling with overweight in our society, is the effects of insulin on the body. And the foods that affect insulin and boost it the highest um, over time are going to be the refined carbohydrates, right? 
So, and then after that, it's going to be, you know, over consuming the, uh, the uh, whole more whole foods carbohydrates and protein and the, the macronutrient that has the lowest effect on insulin would be would be fat but all of them will spike insulin um and and uh cause a problem if you are over consuming so if you're you're eating you know three meals a day with snacks in between and and you never give insulin a break you not only can you not lose weight but that excess insulin causes you over time to increase your weight set point and get uh, bigger and bigger and bigger and gain more fat and fat is a big problem big cause of inflammation and and so so in general with foods that's that's where I would go that'd be the, the found foundational thing and then you break that down and go, okay, well, it's, it's the refined carbohydrates. It's the synthetic foods that, that are really the biggest, biggest problem there. So if we were just looking at foods by themselves for, um, and we're for quelling inflammation, it would be, well, we need to put space in between our feeding times. This is one of the reasons why intermittent fasting or, or fasting in general can really have profound healthy effects on the body because you're putting space between meals, which then decreases insulin. When insulin decreases, guess what? Now, now your body can start dipping into its fat stores and get rid of some of those uh, that excess fat um, and therefore quell inflammation. So that's one that's one way you can go, and then you can get into specifics with certain foods and food substances that can even further quell quell inflammation. Here, here's, here's the big issue with inflammation. It, it completely disrupts uh, the body as, um, as far as what it does to the hormonal environment. So a lot of people don't realize that inflammation affects your hunger centers and your hypothalamic pituitary axis. It, it, it messes up the hormone signaling completely. And, and we all have this weight thermostat and it's like your thermostat at home. The, the more that is messed up from you know, chronic overconsumption or other ways, chronic disease in general, um, other ways, the, the more likely you're just not going to burn fat appropriately and you're not going to heal appropriately. Awesome. That makes yeah, so, so much sense. So, so, that, so I just tell people that that's your baseline right there. So you, you have to really think about giving your, giving your body a break. And then, then I go into with my patients, I'll go into them with you know, certain natural therapeutics that can help. But before I even get there, then I, I talk about, you know, some foods that are stereotypically um, anti, anti-inflammatory. And if they're coming into my clinic, one thing that I like is I like to run like inflammatory markers on all my patients, one of them being like a, an HSCRP. It's called a, a high sensitivity C-reactive protein. It's a protein in the body that measures measures the amount of inflammation. It's highly correlated with future heart attack risk. So if that's elevated, you know, then there's there's then we have objective measures of what's going on in your body. If you have a chronic disease like, you know, type two diabetes, um, heart disease, um, you know, chronic high blood pressure, fatty liver. Um, um, arthritis, um, all those things, you can bet that you have some inflammation going on in there. Um, another measure of inflammation is uh, something called a homocysteine. These are things you can ask your doctor to run. And then a basic one is what's called a, a sedimentation rate. And these are things that your physicians will know, which will give you infor uh, general information about uh, inflammation in your body. If those levels are not optimal, and when I say optimal, I, I'm not just talking to, 
you know, within the range of what uh, doctors talk about, um, some of these ranges range from, you know, uh, gosh, like they're, they're off the charts as far as I'm concerned. And a lot of times if you get an HSCRP that is at five or six, a lot of doctors be, oh, you know, don't, don't worry about it. And, and um, to, in, in my, my opinion, and I think the research bears this out, is that an HSCRP should be, you know, less than one to, to show that you have, you know, lower, lower inflammation. Or, or a homocysteine level should be less than seven on these labs, whereas a lot of times docs don't even say anything about it, and a lot of times they won't even, even run it. So let's say that you, know, you have some objective measures, or you, or you don't, you just are constantly achy, um, you know, or constantly getting injured, you don't, you don't heal well, what, what are some foods that can help besides just, you know, you know, switching around your macronutrients, giving break in between your meals and feeding times. And, and one that we all know of that, that can certainly um, help some of the ones we know of are like uh, making sure that you're getting good fatty acids in your body. So omega-3s are really good. So, so that this is why fish oil supplements are, are so, you know, popular. It, it, it basically has an anti-inflammatory effect on the body. This is why when we hear about superfoods like, you know, I don't know, blueberries and, um, you know, some of your plant-based uh, foods, you know, a lot of these things work by these phytonutrients, secondary plant chemicals that have an anti-inflammatory effect. So polar foods can actually quell that, quell that inflammation. But, but some very par powerful plant medicine that is very anti-inflammatory, and I use it to treat my, my patients are spices and 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 I'm talking I'm not talking about uh, you know some really exotic spices although those can help but you know some of the the spices that we have in our own cabinets even even you know what lowly pepper has anti-inflammatory activity so I recommend all my patients you know use spices and experiment with their food with spices because they have tremendous benefit in a number of ways, not only lowering inflammation, but having some really neat studies on, on helping for very specific complaints. And it's, and it's one of those things that just, you know, it just blows me away with what I see in my, in my clinic. Well, I listened to your spices podcast that you did a while back, which was phenomenal. Some of them I knew, some of them I didn't. So I definitely got some good information from that. So let's, yeah, let's kind of get into some of the spices that help with the inflammation, that help with the healing process, and also uh, just ones that help keep us healthy. Right. So, so you, you know, let's go down. Let's, let's go over some of my, my favorite ones, and then we'll, we'll go, uh, you know, and then we'll go to, into some of the more exotic ones that you can still find that I don't see a lot of people people use but I, one of my most favorite anti-inflammatory herbs and spice is turmeric all right and turmeric is that orange spice it's it's uh from india it has a compound in there um called curcumin curcumin is the what's considered the main active constituent in turmeric if you go to any health food store you'll find you know, turmeric uh, and curcumin supplements, and they're marketed as being, you know, anti-inflammatory. Um, the really neat thing about this turmeric is that it has a tremendous amount of research on what it does as far as its anti-cancer uh, capability. Um, they're studying that 
herb, that spice, um, specifically curcumin, the main active constituent. And what they're trying to do is they're trying to change that natural molecule in such a way that they can patent it as a chemotherapeutic drug because of what it has for um, helping with its anti-cancer activity. And anytime you see like anti-cancer activity, which a lot of spices do have that, um, you can rest assured that it all has, that it also has um, anti-inflammation uh, capability too. But stereotypically, it is one of these um, anti-inflammatory uh, herbs, and um, it's just the orange spice, and it has a very neutral flavor. Um, the way you can use it in your home is just getting turmeric, and you just, you know, using it, uh, sprinkle it on things like putting it in smoothies. You can sprinkle it on eggs. You can put it in soups, stews. It tastes great on certain on meats. Um, uh, I even like putting it in in yogurts. Um, um, even there's you know making like a coconut milk or turmeric dairy milk type drink. Um, it's wet, very well absorbed with uh, fat and food. So a lot of these spices. Um, you know, taking them without food, they're not going to be that well absorbed. So most of them should be taken with food. But that one is a powerhouse and it has a ton of science backing it. So in my clinic, what I will do is um, I will dose um, curcumin, um, uh, a pharmaceutical grade curcumin that's bound to like a, a phospholipid, a fatty molecule and tell people to take, you know, anywhere from um, you know, 500 milligrams to two grams a day in divided doses. Um, and then I will also tell them because I basically isolated the curcumin constituent um, and, and I'm, I'm using it in pharmaceutical doses, but I also will tell them that this curcumin, which is derived from turmeric, will work better if you also use turmeric in your, in your uh, daily life. And the reason why I tell people this, uh, we have this thing in medicine where we have a very reductionistic way of thinking about herbs and spices and foods. And we always try to find, well, what's the magic bullet? Well, in theory, there's no real magic bullet. Curcumin works good by itself. But really, when you're talking about plant medicine, you want to also use the whole herb. So that's why I like uh, turmeric for anti-inflammation. So what do I use it for in the clinic? Well, I definitely use it as part of my um, integrative uh, cancer approach. I use it for any type of arthritis. It's actually been shown curcumin to actually help chelate heavy metals. So if you take curcumin, um, all of us have a certain amount of heavy metals in our body. It may help chelate those and get, help your body get rid of them. Um, you know, it can be useful in a, a thing called hemochromatosis where people just build up extra iron and it can bind iron and help, help take some iron out of their body. Um, and it also has a lot of research that shows that it can help prevent uh, dementia. So that's, that's a powerhouse. Another spice that, that I just love, and it's like my drug of choice, um, and, and most people love it also, is the main ingredient in chocolate, and that's cocoa. And um, it's, it's really interesting about this, this spice is that the actual name of that spice is called Theobroma cacao, which in Latin means food of the gods. And in ancient times, the, the, the Aztec and the Mayans, you know, this, this herb is actually from, you know, Central and South America. But it, this herb was reserved for royalty. And what they believed was that this spice, you know, imparted immortality to people. So it was only reserved for, loyal, for, for royalty for the most part. 
and they made this unique cocoa drink with other spices in it, like chili peppers and, and other things. But what's really interesting about that, when you look at that and you look at what's going on in Western science um, as far as the research on, on cocoa, is you see that, well, you know, cocoa helps lower blood pressure. It helps prevent dementia. It, it's like, it seems to be a very, very uh, powerful cardiovascular protective um, herb. And uh, we're even seeing that the, the results within the research on, you know, eating regular chocolate bars. Um, and, and you're getting the most bang for your buck if you eat more dark chocolate. So a lot of good research on if that chocolate is greater than 70% or greater, you're getting some uh, benefit from, from that, a cardiovascular benefit. Uh, one study actually looked at taking cocoa, um, regular cocoa powder, mixed in the water, um, and giving them three cups a day and over three days, they, they had a significant effect on lowering their blood pressure from just doing that. So it's a, it's a fascinating um, culinary herb that all of us are, are familiar with, and it has tons and tons of phytochemicals that have feel-good effects on the brain, right? There's a chemical in there that is called anandamide, which is actually, uh, that translates into, it's actually called the bliss chemical. This is probably why we, you know, give it out to people as gifts and on Valentine's Day, because it gives you this kind of euphoric feeling. It, has, it does have drug-like effects on the brain. Um, and it, uh, gosh, what else can I say about it? The, oh, then another thing I love about it also is that it, um, they find that people who regularly consume in this spice actually tend to have better skin. So it actually protects the skin from sun damage. And, and I tell all my patients, like one of the best ways to protect your skin from, from sun damage is not only consuming cocoa, but make sure you're getting plenty of phytonutrients in your diet. And one of the best ways to get these phytochemicals in your diet is through consuming spices, not, not just cocoa. So that, that's a fascinating herb. And, and most people, you know, definitely can, you know, love, love chocolate. And knowing this info, they can love it even more. <laughs> Very true. So what else? Any other um, herbs that you're interested in or spices? I mean, I can talk about any one all, <laughs> pretty much all day. We talked about the turmeric. And one thing that I have heard in the past is that there's chemicals in black pepper that help the turmeric to absorb better in the system. Is this true? Is this just kind of a myth that's out there? No, it, it's absolutely true. I mean, um, the, the compound you're talking about is piperine, and it's the main active constituent in, uh, in black pepper. And yeah, that combination of turmeric and black pepper, which goes really well together, is, is pretty incredible. Um, for example, if you you know, of that combination, a lot of people will use on like uh, meats and stuff or in curries, um, things like that. But especially on meat, especially if you're grilling, it's a great combination to put on meats if you're grilling because both that combination as long, and along with turmeric seems to quell any of the uh, uh, carcinogenic um, compounds that are created from grilling. So it's a really good, good kind of spice combination to use there. And then when you're taking, you'll see in a lot of products on on turmeric or curcumin you'll see if you read the label like also black pepper in there or piperine in there and and that's just to enhance the absorption and one of the problems with turmeric and and curcumin is that they're just not absorbed very well and to enhance absorption you can use piperine you can also use you know um 
you'll see a lot of uh, turmeric or curcumin um, products that also have are bound to like a phospholipid and that in combination with black pepper will enhance the absorption. So yeah, you're, you're, you're exactly right. But black pepper, uh, you know, according to the research does so much more than just act as like an, an, you know, an adjunctive agent to help tumor or curcumin. So for example, it has been shown in some studies to, uh, it promotes the growth of melanocytes. These are the cells in your, in your skin and in your, your hair that, you know, give it color. And so, so what happens in one disorder called vitiligo is that people have these patches of skin. It's kind of an auto, it's an autoimmune condition where they have these patches of white skin on them or patches of white hair on them. And at least in animal studies, it seemed to help mitigate that. The other thing that black pepper does is um, it's been shown like turmeric and curcumin to improve memory and improve brain function. So lowly black pepper, which is, you know, found on all, usually found on all tables and in all households across America, is a pretty powerful spice to use. Um, another thing it's done is it's been shown to lower blood pressure in animals. So, you know, it's, it's one of those things that you, you definitely want to use in, um, in, your, in your cooking. And oh, and I could go on about black pepper, but another thing that it can do that there's there's a study on black pepper essential oil. Um, it kind of has a drying effect, and from a traditional Chinese perspective, that drying essential quality of black pepper, um, you can give it to people who are trying to quit smoking. And according to a study or two, it may help people stop smoking because of its. Uh, it has a similar effect that almost like nicotine does and the effect of smoking does on the body. So it can reduce, you know, it just help people come off smoking. Interesting. I had never heard that about that before. Yeah. It's a, it's an amazing, you know, it's amazing herb. So a lot of these very common things that we have in our gardens and, you know, in our cabinets, um, you know, we, we need to start looking at them a little bit differently um, because they, they have so many health, health benefits and qualities. Another thing that people may want to know about black pepper is that you, if you go to a food store, you may see, you know, pink pepper, white pepper, uh, green pepper. These are, these are all from the same plant. They're just taken, uh, you know, the, the little, the little uh, peppercorns, what we're called. They're just taken from the same plant at different times of the growth stage. So, so black pepper is, is allowed, is, is allowed to, uh, completely ripen and dry green peppers, kind of the young, the young peppercorns that aren't allowed to, to uh, dry. Um, so they just pick them and don't ripen them. Um, and then uh, white pepper is, there, there's something called a pericarp around the, uh, the white center of the pepper, you know, little, little uh, pepper grain, um, looks like a BB. And if you take that off, then you get white pepper. So, but it's all from the same, it's all from the same plant. Okay. Black pepper. Black pepper actually has more piperine than any of those, though. So when you let it ripen, it gets more of that main compound in there. Perfect. That's what I was going to ask if there were yeah. different chemicals in there or different yeah. amounts. Yeah. I think I've heard either that or I'm just pretending because I like using it. Cinnamon helps with the inflammation a little bit as well, right? Or am I wrong on that? You are exactly right on that. I think it's more stereotypically known as a uh, kind of a spice that helps with blood sugar control primarily. 
Um, but yes, it's a very, very powerful antioxidant. So whenever you see the see that something's a very powerful antioxidant, it's going to help quell inflammation. Um, a couple things that um, you know your listeners may not know is there's there's a number of types of cinnamon out there, and so you feed, so you may see some things on the internet sphere about cinnamon, and the type that's used most commonly in the United States is called cassia cinnamon. And cassia cinnamon, um, you know, one of the things that you may hear that that's a negative thing about it, but you have to take a lot of it to have a problem with it, is that it's it's high in a compound called coumarin, right? Now, coumarin is actually in high amounts hepatotoxic, so it can, it can damage your liver. So you see stuff out there that says, you know, eating tons of cinnamon may be, may be problematic. Um, but you really have to eat a lot, you know, in the studies, in the animal studies. I mean, they're dosing these, these you know, in the rat studies so high. And it's, it's hard to get doses like that with, uh, with humans. So in the um, actual doses that we use in, like, food and spices and stuff, it, it has a lot more benefit than any negative side effect. The other thing about cinnamon, the other type of cinnamon is called uh, Ceylon, Ceylon cinnamon, or it's actually known as true cinnamon, that cinnamon actually doesn't have as much coumarin in it. So it's, it's much safer to use in, in high amounts. But, but for the sake of, you know, your audience, it's not really a big deal unless they're using just a ton of cinnamon every day in their, you know, in their daily life. So overall, cinnamon is a very healthy thing to use. Um, you know, in, in dietary doses or spice amounts, dashes of cinnamon here and there, very healthy for people to use. Awesome. Now, I know I've heard you talk in the past about, I believe it's coriander and cardamom, if I remember uh -huh. right. Yeah. Um, and, fill me in yeah. a little bit on kind of why you use those and how you use those. So I'll start with, um, let's see, I'll start with uh, coriander. So cor coriander is actually the seed of the uh, cilantro plant, okay? And, and it has, a, it, it has a, some, pretty neat, um, some pretty neat things that it can do for, for especially the digestive tract. I mean, it's, I would say that coriander is mostly known as a something to help, help tonify the digestive tract. So for example, there are studies that show that it helps with IBS. It can help with constipation. It's definitely a great spice to use for gas and bloating, right? So if somebody tends to be gassy or bloated, it's good to add to meals. Um, and, and then it actually seems to, in some, in, in some studies, to actually increase appetite. Um, I use a pinch of coriander and cardamom in my coffee. I just like adding spices to my coffee every morning. But those are the two main ones because I, I just really enjoy the taste. And again, like all of these um, culinary herbs, these two, you know, also have uh, a lot, a lot of um, uh, antioxidants in them. They, they have some, some anti-cancer activity in animal studies and, you know, Petri dish studies. Um, so it's, it's a, it's a really, really good, it's a really good thing to use. The other thing is when we're talking about, uh, um, you know, kind of like the, uh, anti-inflammation effects of it, um, coriander seems to have some anti-glycation effects, which means that it helps prevent 
um, sugar molecules from binding to proteins in your body. And when that happens, it creates a whole lot of inflammation and stimulates your immune system. Your body has to adapt to that. This is one of the problems that uh, diabetics have. Like they have too much blood sugar in their system and that sugar binds to certain proteins and inactivates them. And in fact, um, diabetics will actually run a test called a hemoglobin A1C. And basically what that test, it looks like, it looks at how much sugar is coating red blood cells. Well, coriander may help prevent that effect, which is pretty cool. And then um, it, again, like I said about curcumin or turmeric, this, uh, this particular spice may actually uh, help chelate heavy metals out. So that's really neat, right? Because if you use your spices, you know, we all have some heavy metals in us and we all can, uh, you know, in our daily lives and lifestyles, one of the best ways to detox is just eat healthy. And part of that should be using spices and coriander can be really good thing to, to use for that. Um, and you know, it's a, it's a nice, uh, it's a nice tasting spice. Um, some people will say that it's a, you know, it's an acquired taste, but but man, it's, I, I really like it in my coffee, but you can use it in salads. Um, you just have to get, get out there and experiment with the spices around, um, you know, in your, in your cabinet and, and use them. Um, so the other one you asked about, this is actually really one of my favorites. It's one of my favorite tasting ones, and that's uh, cardamom. Um, it's used a lot in, uh, gosh, I would say uh, Indian cuisine, especially like desserts and stuff. Um, if you've never had cardamom ice cream, which you can find on the shelves at like Whole Foods or something, I mean, for at least to my taste buds, it's heavenly. I mean, it's just really, really good. Um, but what it's been shown in studies is it may have some blood pressure lowering effects that, you know, not, I don't think as much of the research as uh, cocoa has on it. And one of the big things with people who have a lot of inflammation around is they tend to clot easily, right? So they're, they, they're, their platelets tend to group together and they tend to produce clots. And, and this particular herb has some studies on it showing that it, it prevents, um, prevents clotting. Um, so, it, so it inhibits fibrin uh, protein from clumping together, which is part of the clotting process. Again, it's a great, it's a great, great um, uh, antioxidant and it may be a really simple way uh, to help lower blood pressure in people. Um, it's also another herb that is really, really soothing to the digestive tract. And maybe that's why in Indian cuisine, maybe they, through, through thousands of years of using this spice, they used it at the end of the meal and desserts and, you know, it helps soothe the digestive tract. And so when you're talking about digestion, um, some animal research shows that it may even help fight against colon cancer. Um, so yeah, it's a, it's a pretty, pretty powerful pretty powerful herb, pretty powerful spice. And it's not one that Americans tend to use a lot of, um, but it's a really neat one to get used to and play with in your kitchen and add to desserts and, that, and you know, add to different cooking. So I, I recommend to all my patients to really get out there who like to cook is to really look at some of these uh, cuisines, um, you know, coming out of like uh, East Asia, um, the Middle East, and use some of their traditional herbs and stuff like that. Awesome. Yeah, okay. yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, anyway, that so that's that's just a few. What else should we talk about? I mean, I love I love spices, so I can go down a list if you and just we can talk about whatever you want. Um, how about uh, cayenne? 
Yeah, like go into any of the major or kind of the ones that um, for kind of immunity. I know Clo is a big one you get into a lot for you, um, but like the immunity and just the antioxidant, anti-inflammatory side of things. All right. Well, so so one of the, you just brought up clove. Clove is of, of all the spices of all the herbs. Clove is the one that has the the most antioxidants. You know, as measured by laboratory studies, it has the most antioxidants bang for your buck than anything, any other spice out there. And uh, and and the other thing that I love about clove is that you know it's great to just suck on uh, throughout the day, and I use it right. It's great for uh, bad breath. Um, it smells great. Um, just sucking on clove um, freshens up your breath greatly, and it also helps clean your teeth, and it and it's antibacterial. So it's a it's a way to keep your dental hygiene up. So it prevents cavities. So instead of chewing gum, you may want to suck on clove. Um, the other thing about it is since it is antibacterial and antifungal, if you can't get to the dentist and you have a toothache or anything like that, or an infection, periodontitis or, or gingivitis, um, you know, these things are where the gums are receding um, or you have cavities, clove can help prevent that and stop it in its tracks. Um, and clove, because it's a warming type spice, actually can increase blood to the oral tissue. And this is another way it's great. So I think of clove as a great breath freshener, but also I think of clove as a great oral hygiene uh, herb. And so, you know, we use a lot of, some people may use clove. It's a great addition to uh, desserts, um, maybe like pumpkin pie, um, apple pie. Um, sometimes people use clove and cooked meats and things to add a, add a little bit there, um, a little bit more flavor there. But it's, uh, it's pretty amazing. The main active constituent of that one that most of the research has done on is uh, eugenol. Um, and eugenol, that active ingredient, if you just type that in, it actually has antiviral activity. So it may, you know, so having eugenol in your body um, a lot of these are actually strong aromatic spices can, can have antiviral activity, but using eugenol in there may give you a protective effect against certain viral stuff. So there were some studies on hepatitis C and on herpes simplex. Um, the, the other thing about its blood, it actually has some blood thinning effects, the eugenol. So you can think of clove as helping with that. And again, that's a big thing. So it may prevent blood clots also. And the wonderful thing about it is very, very safe. So you can suck on clove and chew it and swallow it, you know? You can, so go get the clove bud at the spice store and, you know, use it um, to freshen your breath. And while you're doing that, you're getting a whole lot of other benefits from it. Awesome. Awesome. I love it. Yeah. So clove, clove is a neat one. I guess we're, we're going to, well, why don't we stick with the sea or sea spices for a while, the ones that begin <laughs> to see, <laughs> but um, another one that's very common that I, I, I think we should talk about because everybody knows about it is cayenne. Um, you know, the, the Latin name is capsicum annuum. Um, it's also known as chilies. Um, a lot of people grow chilies in their, in their gardens and stuff. Um, uh, since I deal with fat loss a lot and fat loss is a big, I mean, obesity is a big, uh, cause of inflammation. Um, cayenne does seem to have some slight fat burning effects. Now you're not, 
you know, you're probably not going to be able to take uh, cayenne and continue eating a really poor diet and not exercise and see, you know, see the fat melt off. But it will give you a slight uh, effect. Um, the other thing it does, uh, if you eat really, really spicy foods um, or ever had really, really spicy foods, you, you can notice almost immediately, besides burning your mouth, you'll notice that it significantly decreases your appetite. So when that does that, then it's significantly decreasing caloric consumption. So it has like this appetite suppressing effect on it, which um, is really, really uh, neat. And some of the uh, cell studies on cayenne is not only does it have like anti-obesity effects by decreasing appetite and hence decreasing caloric consumption and improving fat burning during exercise, but it also seems to reduce the number of fat cells that may be formed which I, I thought was just fascinating. Um, you know, I, so I, I'm throwing out studies out there and, um, you know, some of these doses are very high, but, but again, I feel like, you know, in the dietary doses of stuff like this, if you like spicy foods, you're probably getting some, you're probably getting some benefit there. Other things that it does, it may, it may improve cholesterol level. So it's a it's a really good it's a really good spice to um, to use. Um, what else? Um, again, a lot of these a lot of these spices have anti-cancer activity on them. Uh, they don't have as much study as uh, as uh, turmeric does, but they do have some some neat studies on them. And and this one again, from a Chinese medicine perspective, it's very yang, meaning it, it, it exerts a lot of heat, as you probably can tell if you eat very hot chilies. But uh, because of that, it's also considered a blood mover and, and meaning that it can help prevent clots from Chinese medicine. And when we look at the Western research on it, lo and behold, we see the same thing. Um, one of the ways that it's used most commonly um, in, for Americans is you'll see, if you go into any drugstore, a lot of you'll see like pain patches. Well, that's like a topical, that's actually cayenne, topical capsicum that you can tape on your your leg if you have like really bad pain or peripheral neuropathy or knee pain arthritis you can take these capsic these capsicum plasters you know um, on and it in it helps decrease the pain that you're feeling so again a pretty neat herb very common um, most people know what it is or have seen it you can go find uh you know uh plasters of it in just regular drug stores um, it's a good one. It's a very, very good one to to uh, use for a number of reasons. Definitely. And I think I, it's one that's in a lot of different topicals as well, correct? Right. So, yeah. So, you'll just like with those plasters, which you use topically, you can see like some, some uh, liniments and stuff like that, like that are geared towards helping with pain will have a little bit of chili in there or the capsicum in there, which will help with pain. Yeah. Awesome. Cool. Yeah. Um, what else? What else should we talk about? Well, I'm thinking I want to, it wasn't something I was going to get in today, um, uh -huh. but you mentioned the beginning with when we were talking about um, kind of causes of inflammation. And uh -huh. so you mentioned as far as the intermittent fasting and, you know, eating fewer meals and that sort of thing. Uh -huh. um, me as an athlete, a competitive athlete, and other people who I know are listening to this that are um, athletes as well. Where, like, I guess, how do you suggest um, doing a fasting a fast, whether it be an intermittent or whether it be a long-term fast, while you are also trying to do your training? 
That's a great question, and I think there's a lot of misconception that, misconceptions out there about fasting and um, you know inhibiting muscle growth or causing your body to eat away its muscle. And I, I think the best way to kind of answer that is to to think about what happens in a uh, starvation state like our ancestors might have gone through. And not I wouldn't say necessarily starvation state, but a state of famine, right? So, so our, the human body is really fascinating because one of the things it does when food is not available, right, is it will make sure that it preserves fuel for the brain. And the other thing that it does is it's going to make sure that it maintains your muscle mass. So this whole misconception out there, it's a big one out there because most trainers I hear say this, Will say, well, you need to you need to eat to feed your muscles, and and if you don't eat, your body's going to immediately eat away your muscle and turn it into the fat. And I, you know, I hear stuff like that. Well, at, in actuality, it's the opposite. Okay, especially with short-term fasts, and I'm talking about short-term fasts between you know like 18 hours and 72 hours. All right, and and what your body will do is it will dip. It will first of all, it's going to deplete. It's going to deplete your glycogen stores, and it has to find fuel somewhere else. And it's not going to dip into your muscle. It's going to go to your fat first, primarily, when you do these fasts. And, and that's why with fasting, you'll see an elevation of ketones in the blood. And you can test this. You can just go and see if you have a ketone meter, and you can see that with fasting, ketones will go up. Well, that's fuel for the brain, for one thing. And then any type of there, – there's going to be some uh, glucose around, and that's going to be reserved for, for primarily for, for your muscles because you're never really going to deplete it totally. You're going to have some, some uh, you know, glycogen stores, which are going to help, help feed your muscles. So for short-term fast, your body preserves muscle, so you don't have to worry about that. The other thing that the body does, one of the best ways, better than actually injecting it into your body to get growth hormone is to fast. So they've done studies where if you, if you want to, a lot of bodybuilders, or at least back in the day, would use growth hormone, um, and it's considered anti-aging hormone, you know, in, in, in injectable form to help, help prevent muscle loss and that type of thing. And, and, and the same is true for testosterone too. It helps with testosterone. Um, but, the, but especially with growth hormone, you get more growth hormone secretion endogenously, meaning your body makes it itself, by just doing an intermittent fasting, and that's short-term fasting. And then the other thing I just want to say about that, because I, I know this question comes up with fasting, is a lot of people will say, they'll say things like, well, you know, um, you know, that's, you know, I just, I don't see that happening with me because I just, you know, I feel like, uh, you know, I'm a lot weaker after, after fasting or, or whatever, and I, I just can't work out. And to some extent, that may be true. So with short-term fast, I tell people, you know, you can still work out while you're fasting. You can still do an intense workout while you're fasting. But an intense workout is going to deplete your glycogen stores really, really quickly, and it's going to elevate your ketone levels really, really quickly. So if you're going to do like a three-day short-term fast, I would probably maybe do one high-intensity workout during that fast, and the rest of the days I'd do more of a you know, rest-based type recovery type workout, maybe a light jog, go for a walk, you know, just do kind of active rest. Because you are kind of, you're hitting on something, you are right, like if you if you're fasting and you're overdoing it and you're still and you're doing high intensity workouts day after day, then then you you know you're breaking your body down and you're not really giving it fuel to uh, to recover quickly.
So that that's that's the short answer. So there's kind of like a there's there's kind of like a Goldilocks point for that. But fasting while you're working out is really not a problem. I would just be careful with doing too many high intensity workouts while you're fasting. So maybe almost plan it around when you like I normally have my active recovery day just mobility pretty much on Sundays. So almost doing it like starting Saturday, hitting one hard workout. Yep. And then going into my rest day. Right. And, 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 you know, fasting, when we talk about fasting, fasting is just creating space between feeding times, you know? And so at the beginning we talked about, you know, overconsumption being a big cause of, um, overconsumption of calories being a big cause of inflammation. And if we can create more, more space between feeding times, we allow, we let insulin, we give it a break. We allow our body to reset itself. And um, therefore you can think about not eating as like cleaning out the cellular trash in your body. And, and lo and behold, that's what we see. It's almost like it has a rejuvenating effect for at the cellular level. So, you know, one of the things about aging, um, inflammation, chronic inflammation over a lifetime, it creates a lot of cellular trash. So you see things like um, um, amyloid placking in Alzheimer's, you see cholesterol placking, you see age spots in skin. These are all cellular trash that's building up in the skin. And you can actually help prevent this stuff by making sure that you fast intermittently peri periodically. So I, I love intermittent fasting for, for many, many reasons, which is a whole podcast in itself. But, uh, you know, somebody said, well, is, is fasting anti-inflammatory? Absolutely it is, if you do it right. Awesome. Yeah, that's fascinating stuff to get into and something we may have to cover down the road in, a in another one. Yeah, oh, yeah. I mean, I, and it's, it's, it's real. Yeah, the other thing about it is it's, it's, it saves you money for one thing, and you don't have to do anything. All you have to do is just not eat. You know, you, just, you can drink water, and anybody can do it, you know. Um, so – you know, if I had to say what's one of the most powerful medicines out there for people, it's fasting. And guess what? You don't have to come to me to see a doctor. You don't have to take, you know, you don't have to, uh, I don't know, take a pill, potion, or medicine or anything like that. So intermittently, fasting is safe for, for most, most people. I just, I, you know, tell, say that you should definitely need to be cautious if you're a type 1 diabetic and, and also be cautious if you're a type 2 diabetic. But with type 2 diabetics... Um, I think one of the most powerful cures, and yes, I'm using the word, word cure if you do it right, you can actually reverse type 2 diabetes with fasting. And, and you can do it very easily with intermittent fasting. And, and sometimes you need to fast a little bit longer. But over time, you'll drop weight, you'll, you'll resensitize your body to, to uh, insulin, and you'll reverse that. And that's something they won't say in medicine. They don't like saying, well, that's, that's a cure. You know, once you're diabetic, always a diabetic. But that with type 2 diabetes is absolutely not true if you know what you're doing and if your physician knows what it's doing. That's really interesting. Yeah. So we covered quite a few spices. I know there's a number of many other spices out there. Yeah. Just you want, me, for, want me to go through throwing some? <laughs> uh, we can do two things. We can either go through them or I was thinking to, I know you have some good references where you get your information. Um, if you just want to share uh -huh. some of those references, um, that would be uh -huh. fabulous as well. Well, so one thing you can find out about any spice, uh, if you want scientific studies on it, is you can do like a Medline search or PubMed search. These are like just uh, papers, scientific papers on them. You know, you can just type in cinnamon. You can type in the active constituents in some of these chemicals. 
Um, and if you don't know any, you can just do a Google search, type in cinnamon, and you'll see a bunch of stuff pop up about cinnamon or any spice that you're interested in. And it may go into telling you what the active constituents are. Um, you could type that into a, a Medline search and you'll see all kinds of interesting stuff. So, so just, you know, being a, a kind of, uh, you know, reader of the research uh, and even if it's just in layman's terms um, in, on the internet you can find out a lot of lot of really neat information you know there's some caveats to that because some people can be you know scared out of their mind of using some of these spices like using you know normal table cinnamon um, they may think oh I can't use that because it damages your liver but you really have to get the high doses so so there's some misinformation out there but you can still find a lot of a lot of good stuff out there and then you know one one book that could really that I like and I have on my shelf and I recommend to my my patients and clients is there's a book I actually did a podcast with him uh, or a webinar in the past and uh, but he wrote a book called healing spices and it goes through um, all of the culinary spices from all different types of cultures and he goes through the research on each of them and it's written in a layman's terms way, in a very usable way, and it goes into recipes of how to use them in in your uh, cooking and what they what they can do for you. So it's called Healing Spices, and the author is Bharat Agarwal, A-G-G-A-R-W-A-L. He's a PhD. He uh, works at MD Anderson in, in Texas, and um, he's done most of the research on, uh, most of the Western research um, on turmeric. But uh, very knowledgeable about uh, very knowledgeable about his his spices. So that's a that's a really good book to get. You can find it on Amazon. Um, I recommend it, especially if you have um, interest in it. Awesome. And then last question, just uh, reaching out for other questions. How can people either follow you, get in contact with you? Um, well, like you, I have a podcast. You know, called the Wellman's Podcast. Um, and um, so that's one way. And then, you know, my, my social media handles at Keone Tita. I also have a clinic um, called the Naturopathic Health Clinic of North Carolina. I think online most people know it as the Metabolic Effect Clinic. Um, and on there, if you want to, you can go to that clinic page and there's a sign up for my email newsletter, which I put out every every month or so a different topic and so that's one way and um if they wanted to email me they could just type in clinic at metabolicaffect.com that goes straight to my uh clinic manager and you know we can go go from there and you know if they have any quick questions i have no problem answering quick questions about anything all right wonderful i will make sure i get all that in the show notes for all you, you guys to find and uh just Keone, thank you so much for hopping on here today. Uh, greatly appreciate the information you shared, and we will definitely get you on again in the future. I hope you enjoyed today's episode. You can find show notes at highlyfunctional.org, which has links to my website and my social media profiles, all containing more information to help you become highly functional. Until next time, go live and be highly functional.